Lord, because he's worthy. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Praise God. Praise God. John chapter 6, welcome again to all of our guests. We're glad you are here. Uh, John chapter 6, we're going to start reading it. Uh, verse 51, it's a little bit of a lengthy reading. I apologize for that. Uh, those that you are here today, and I know there's some that have been going through struggles and, uh, and whatnot, I'm glad you're here. And uh, so let's begin by jumping into the Word of God. John chapter 6, starting in verse 51, it says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give him or that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give, his, give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him am, am in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, this is the Spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But they, there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, and he, uh, he said, therefore, said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, we, will ye also go away? From this portion of scripture today, I want to preach from this subject. Does this offend you? Does this offend you? Lord Jesus, touch our hearts, touch our lives, let us hear what your spirit is saying unto us, minister to us. Although we are very diverse here today from many different nationalities, from different ages, different social status, we know, God, that you are so capable of making this message so that it would touch everyone that is here in the way that they need to be ministered to. So we're, at, we're asking you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Years ago, I heard about a preacher that was pastor. In fact, he had just been voted in in his new pastorate, in his new church. And so he got there Sunday morning, and 
had his black suit on and his red tie and his black shoes. He began to preach and minister out of the Word of God. And so he had chosen a scripture. He read that scripture, and then he began to preach. He used several illustrations, and the message was phenomenal. And he stood out in the hallway as everyone left, and they shook his hand and said, Pastor, what a great message. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Awesome message. Great illustration. And uh, next Sunday came around, and he stepped up to the pulpit, and he read the very same verses of Scripture. And he preached the very same message, almost word for word, using the same illustrations and everything. Everybody was a little bit confused, but after service, they patted him on the back, and they shook his hand, and they said, great, great message, Pastor. But it was a few less people that congratulated him. The next Sunday morning, he got up, he read the same scripture, preached the same message, used the same illustrations, and ended the service. A few people said, great message, Pastor, on the way out, and that was it. The next Sunday morning, he gets up, he uses the same scripture, the same illustrations, the same message. Everything was the same. On the way out, very few people shook his hand, but some of the board members came up to him and said, Pastor, we know that you've been with us about four weeks now, and we're a little concerned. Pastor, do you know how to preach any other message than that message? And the pastor said, oh, yes, I've got many messages, but I'm going to preach this one until it does you some good. I kind of feel like that this morning because I feel like, in a sense, almost like a broken record because it seems like the last three or four services, the messages that I have brought to you have been similar, different areas of the Bible, different general content, content but overall the message is the same. And so this morning... I come to you with a little bit of a challenge in my spirit because I do know how to preach another message. I really do. And so don't fire me yet. But God is good, isn't he? There are, as I begin talking to the Lord and as God been, as he was talking to me this last couple of weeks, and I have over the years, as God has reminded me in ministry, I've, I, I, I really would have a hard time remembering how many times people have come up to me and said in one form or another that God is not fair. In fact, I almost came preaching a different title this morning, and that title was going to be, What Do You Do When God Breaks Your Heart? But I chose not to use that title simply because I thought it might gender too many questions, so I changed it this morning to something a little different, but the content is going to be generally the same. But over the years, there have been many times that people have come to me and said through circumstances or situations in their life that they felt that God was not fair. There are circumstances that seem to crush some people. 
More often than not, somebody will point their bony finger at God and say, why did you do this to me? Or why did you allow this in my life? Now, I read this last week. There are several studies on the subject. In fact, in this particular area, as of late, there are 52 studies that have been published that found that qualities such as high self-esteem and optimism and hope and self-empowerment and acceptance, determination, things like this help people to maintain and continue their, their high mental health during difficult times and even during serious physical illness. Another review that was recently published found that positive psychological well-being include feelings of joy and happiness and traits of optimism and sense of humor, reduce the chances of death, and reduce the chances of severe health situations amongst our population. Researchers believe that a daily, daily access to positive emotions creates a psychological antidote for things that come against us. The ability to experience positive emotion despite major stressors in our lives will help us on an ongoing basis. These are not just words that have come out of my mouth, but this is studies that have been done time and time again. A steady stream of positive emotions also leads to greater emotional and physical well-being. We know that. In fact, I believe we can also find that in the Word of God. But by undoing the effects of everyday stress and unfueling uh, psychological uh, uh, you know, problems in our lives, there is a res resilience that some people have. People who have supportive relationships are those, uh, uh, from those that are around you, that contributes to a daily positive emotion and they tend to believe that even though you might be going through a tough time, everything's going to be all right. In Acts chapter 26, verses 1 and 2, and I'd like to kind of build on this thought for just a moment. It says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. Notice what verse 2 says. It says, I think myself happy, O King Agrippa. Paul was in a desperate situation having just been arrested. And when finally given permission to speak for himself, Agrippa says to him, it's okay, you can now speak to, for yourself. And Paul's first words says, I think myself happy, O King Agrippa. Even though I'm in this circumstance, even though I'm in this trial and this tribulation, I think myself happy, O King Agrippa. In other words, this jail is not going to keep me down. I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. Oh, help me out, somebody, today. 
what Paul is saying, and it, this ought to be our, our prayer, our, our outlook as well. I think myself happy. There comes a time when you got to stop looking at the, the awful things that are going on in your life uh, and point your face up to God uh, and say, God, uh, I'm not going to let life destroy me. Somebody shout praise the Lord. So standing in front of the man that simply could go like this and say you're going to live and like this and saying you're going to die, Paul said, I think myself happy because there's nothing that you can do to me, O King Agrippa, that God can't rescue me from. The fact is... All of us will face adversity, and this is, again, the part of the message. I feel like a broken record, but God gave me this, and I'm just going to preach what God gave me. The results are up to him. But what separates, and I, I, I begin thinking about this lately, what separates those that walk away from those that don't walk away? And I, I begin to ponder that idea. You see, you, you have no idea how much it hurts God for people to walk away from him. Amen. You've heard the phrase, and I'm sure you've all heard this phrase, the straw that breaks the camel's back or the last straw. You've heard that phrase. It simply comes from the concept that the 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 burst, the, the beast of burden has been loaded loaded down with so much weight or straw that all it takes is one more piece of straw to be put upon that animal's back uh, and their back would break. Uh, I understand that some people are in that situation. Life uh, can be like that. Sometimes uh, some people give up and others don't uh, and I don't understand why uh, but I know this uh, I've come too far to give up on God now. I hope there's a witness in this house today. I said, I have come too far to give up on God. He's still good to me. But what is the difference between those that give up and those that don't? I'd like you to think about that for a while this morning. What is the difference between those that give up and those that don't. How does someone never give up? Well, someone else seems to give up quickly. Now, I'm not qualified really to answer that. But what I've seen is that those who give up on God, life does not get any better for them. I think somebody just missed that. Those that give up on God, life doesn't get any better. So then I guess I might say it like this. If life isn't going to get any better, then why give up on God? Because with God, all things are possible, and God can help you. I was looking at David this last week. Before David became king of Judah and Israel, David was anointed three times to become king. It was a progressive and a sequence of anointings. 
And I'm not going to read the scripture, but in 1 Samuel 16, 13, it says that David was anointed to become king of Israel in the place of King Saul, who had been rejected by God. And then 2 Samuel 2 and 4 talks about how David is anointed to be king of Judah uh, by the men of Judah. And then the third time is in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3, David was anointed uh, uh, to, uh, to be accepted as king over all Israel. And this is what I found when I studied it out. The first anointing can be, uh, can be termed as the anointing of appointment by God. God was the one that had him anointed to be the next king. This anointing was from God and not from men. It was intended to kickstart David into, into the way of being the king. The second anointing had been by the men of Judah for him to become their king. This was an anointing of acceptance. The first anointing was God. The second anointing was men. And it was an anointing of acceptance. And David received that anointing of acceptance. Then there was the third anointing, the third and final anointing. For David was inclusively to be king over all Israel. The first anointing was God said you're going to be a king. The second anointing was when men began to receive him as king. And the third anointing was when the entire nation said, you are, you are our king. Saul had died, and David had become king over all Israel. But why did David have to wait seven whole years before sitting on the throne as king over all Israel? For David, it was seven years of intense preparation. It was seven years full of temptations, full of things that David had to overcome. He was successful in his kingly rule because he had acquired character to be the king. Moreover, not only just king, but king of Judah and king of Israel. But this also teaches us that our relationship is as important with God as it is with men. God values men, and he loves to co-work with them. Don't let that statement go by. God values and loves men and women, but he wants to co-work with you. He doesn't want to just work for you, but he wants to work arm and arm, hand and hand with you. That's the God that we serve. The appointment is done by God, but the proof is done by men. I could say that I'm called to be a preacher, that I'm called to be a pastor. And that may be true, but the proof is when I'm accepted. You can preach all you want, but if people aren't going to listen to you, you're not accepted yet. Is anybody still with me? I hope I'm not losing you. When I looked at the Old Testament, Joseph waits 14 years from the betrayal of his brothers 
until he is elevated to be second in command in all over all of Egypt. And look what Old Testament Joseph went to, went through from the time uh, that God gave him the dreams of his leadership uh, until God fulfilled the dreams. Uh, I'm here to let you know that along the path of life, uh, God has got to teach you some things. He's got to teach you some things. And as much as we would love that road to be paved and smooth and nice, how many have ever been driving down the highway, especially right after winter time, and next thing you know, your dentures are jarred loose because you hit a pothole? Hello? Oh, I think somebody knows what I'm talking about. I mean, you're just driving along and kaboom! You hit that thing, I mean, it's about 14 feet deep and about five feet wide. And you're, uh, how many have ever hit a pothole and your tire blows out? You, oh, so you know what I'm talking about. I mean, but life is like that. Or am I just missing it this morning? Sometimes you're just cruising along in this game we call life. And kabam, you hit a pothole. And it pushes you off the road, and you say, What am I gonna do now? You gotta get out and get the tire jack out, and you gotta get the tire iron out, and you gotta hope that there's air in the flat, in, in, in the spare tire. Does anybody ever drive around on one of those donut things? I mean, those things are a shame. It's an embarrassment to call it a tire. I, I, it just really is. Anybody? Come on. You, you ever drive around on a donut? Come on. Some of you have. I guarantee you some of you have. I mean, it don't even look right. You're driving down there. It, your car is leaning like this, and, you know, people are looking at you like, what's wrong with that tire? And, and, and it's just part of life. You go through stuff like that. Uh, amen. And they, they even give you some warnings about that donut. Don't drive too fast. I've had cars, I said, I don't want the donut, give me a full tire. I want, if I'm going to put a tire on there, I don't want to be embarrassed when I'm going down the road. Uh, but life uh, is going to serve you some things at times. Uh, it's going to stop you in your tracks, uh, and you're going to have to look up at God, uh, and you're going to decide, uh, is it time to walk away from God, uh, or is it time to man up uh, and say, I'm in this uh, no matter what? A disciple is a follower. An apostle is one who is sent on a mission, and both are needed. Amen? Those of, how many of you are parents? None, I hope none of you gave up when it got rough. You don't give up on being a parent just because your child's a handful. Sometimes you may want to. Sometimes you might want, might want to trade them in, give them away, you know, let somebody babysit them for a month or two. Come on, listen, I'm a parent. I know what it's like, all right? There's sometimes when it's like, you know, I think we took the wrong kid home from the hospital. This is not my kid. My kid's not supposed to be rebellious like that. My kid's not supposed to backtalk me like that. My kid's not supposed to be rude. My kid's not supposed to talk to his mama like that. 
I remember telling my boys one time when they were teenagers and they're mouthing off to their, to their mother, I said, listen, let me tell you something. That's your mother, but it's my wife. And if you keep messing with her, you're messing with me. But that's what God does for us as well. You know, you understand something. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter, the Lord is saying. And although he will allow us to go through trials and tribulations, God is standing on the corners of heaven, up on the, uh, on the precipice of heaven, looking down and saying, Devil, you can only do what I allow you to do and no more. You can't touch him or her any greater than I give you permission to. you got to understand something. The devil is, is probably living little more than pu a puppet on a string huh? because God says you can do this, but you can't do that. Uh, and somebody needs to understand this morning, if God gave the enemy of your soul permission to touch your life, uh, then God knows you're going to make it. God knows you're going to win this battle. God knows you're going to get through this situation because he will not, he will not, he will not put more on you than you can handle. He will not put more on the, you than you can handle. So all this experience and all this tells me that what is the difference between someone that gives up and someone that doesn't give up? Uh, amen. Honestly, there have been times where my heart's been broken and I've felt like walking away. But I really think that, and I know this, uh, that no matter what comes my way, I am going to keep serving God. Uh, I can't exclude God from my life because the moment I exclude God from my life, uh, then the possible answer or door, the doors to the possible answers have been closed uh, because with God all things are possible and so I can't exclude God from my life. Uh, amen. I'm not never saying that we will never make changes in our life. Uh, we walk by faith and not by sight uh, but God uh, or leaving God and walking away from God is not on the table. Someday, you will need to come to this realization. Walking away from God is just not on the table. It's not going to happen. In John chapter 6, verse 68, it says, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Jesus had just got done preaching and teaching about if you want to have anything, any part of me at all, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, some, some people were thinking that he was talking about cannibalism, but I believe he was talking about commitment. He was saying someday you're going to have to, you're going to have to make a commitment. Someday you're going to have to say, I am in this through thick and through thin. And so I would ask you this morning, who is on your side? And I would ask you this, is there a bigger God? Is there a bigger God? Somebody ought to shout no. So there's no bigger, better God that you could go to, right? Amen. And will and the, the, the next question I would ask you is, would it be easier without God? Uh, and the answer would be no. Come on, somebody shout it, no. And by the way, as I said a moment ago, including God, leaves the door open for a miracle, a blessing. And, of course, he is our comforter, and he is the prince of peace. There have been times when I've tried to do it without God, but it never works. It never works. 
Jesus told his followers, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. So I began studying and talking to the Lord this week. God talked to me about the scripture says, if you abide in me, if you abide in me. In John chapter 15, verse 7, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, he also uses the words dwell in me. But I want to read that again. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it will be done for you. So what does it mean? It means that he dwells in you. It means that there is an intimate connection with him. And so I want to show you somehow this morning that the difference, I believe, between somebody that walks away from God and somebody that stays with God is, has something to do with the intimacy. If you are intimate with God, if you are close with God, then you will know that God uses any and all circumstances with a purpose to mold and to shape and even sometimes to warn us of danger. He will at times shock you into reality because you are going headlong the wrong direction and God has to whack you. Maybe I should ask this question. How many of you have ever been spanked by God? All right. About 10 of you. The rest of you are just not being honest. Listen, I didn't like getting spanked when I was a kid, and I don't, got, I don't like getting spanked now. I mean, I don't think I deserve getting a spanking. I mean, at least I don't think so. But every once in a while, God says, you need it because you're going the wrong way and you're doing your own thing and you're not heeding my instruction and you're not heeding my directions. You're not heeding my word. So I'm going to have to ha let you hit a pothole. I'm going to have to allow something in your life that jars you to reality to say, hey, you know what? I need to get myself where I really need to be. Because listen, we have a God that loves you. And when you wander, he is going to leave the 90 and 9 and he is going to come looking for you. Oh, hear me today. I read a book years ago about a shepherd loving his sheep and 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 how that how that sometimes uh, you get a rebellious uh, a, a rebellious lamb uh, that loves to wander and go off and get in trouble and i remember reading that book years ago and i know i've told the illustration before but it talks about there comes a time uh, when the shepherd has to break the leg of his sheep and what the shepherd will do is if that, if that lamb continues to wander and continues to get themselves in trouble, 
that shepherd will take that little little baby lamb and put it in his, hold it close to his chest and then take his leg out and it will stretch that that lamb's leg out in his arm and he will take that shepherd's crook and he will pop that leg and he will break it and he will snap that bone and then he will take that little lamb and set it down on the ground and of course that lamb tries to put its weight on that leg but it's broken so he can't do it he can't walk and he will begin to bawl and scream and the shepherd has to take that lamb and begin to carry it around not just just for an hour or two, but sometimes days and weeks as that bone begins to cure and be, that bone begins to, to heal. But in the process, uh, that, that shepherd needs to let that lamb down every once in a while to remind them you can't walk on that broken bone. Uh, that broken bone is going to keep you from doing what you want to do. And the shepherd, as he tells this story, talks about how after the healing process, uh, those little lambs that he has had to break their leg uh, are the ones that will stay the closest to him in the long run. I don't know if I'm getting it through, but I hope I am. I'm trying to let you know that the Bible talks about uh, him dwelling in us. Uh, What that really means, or when it says, if you abide in me, it means you are going to remain in him. Dwelleth in me and I in him, or in in other words, abide in me and I am him. Uh, In in him, if you want him to abide in you, you need to abide in him. You know what just came to mind? This is not a one-way deal here. You know, God isn't like some gumball machine. You put a quarter in there and one of those puppies drops out. Anytime you want it. He wants that relationship. He wants that communion. He wants that give and take. You know, maybe I need to say it like this. Some people are just downright selfish. That they love things coming their way. I love the raises, and I, I love this, and I love the blessings, and I love all that stuff. But really, you want me to volunteer to vacuum the church? Really? You want me to teach a Sunday school class? or Really? You want me to witness to somebody else? This relationship is a two-way relationship. And I guess I would remind you, what are you doing for the Lord? I believe and I love the benefits that God gives us. But what am I doing for His sake and for His kingdom? John was very characteristic in this statement when he talked about dwelling in him and or him dwelling in me and I in him that was very characteristic from St. John. It was a, a, a discussion of the intimate and or mutual fellowship and union he had with God. Jesus is or should be the center and the circumference of our life as a Christian. He is our source from which our energy springs. He is the ocean into which that relationship flows. He is both the starting point and he is the goal. And we ought to have an intimate relationship 
with him, we should be joined with him. Reading again John 6, 68, it says, Then Simon Peter answered unto him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. If you have been through harsh circumstances and have kept God first in your life, then I applaud you this morning. If God has seemingly broken your heart, but you didn't fold and you didn't hold it against him, then good for you because you could have. There's a lot of people that will never darken the doors of a church ever again because God, in one way or another, hurt their feelings or mess, uh, uh, you know, allowed them to go through things uh, that caused them to walk away from God. And there's people that are going to go headlong into a devil's hell because they refuse to let life put, the, you know, they refuse to, to let God uh, be, be true in their life and do the work that he intended them to do or to do in their lives. Uh, so we need to understand. And uh, amen, that even, even if God seemingly broke your heart, uh, you shouldn't hold it against him. Amen, because God is good nonetheless. Uh, and when I look back at the Old Testament, Saul chased David for years uh, trying to kill him, but David refused to quit. Uh, he stayed in the fight. He stayed in the battle. Even when given a chance to retaliate, uh, David refused to do so because he put his hand, uh, his life in God's hand. And so this is where it kind of boils down to commitment is what separate those who don't give up on God from those that do. That's it. It's commitment. I guarantee you, there are probably every one of you here had good reason to quit your job. Maybe even now you do course for most of us it's just the fact that it's a job that's good enough that's why we have reason to quit it (laughs) but you don't quit it why why don't you quit your job you need it it's kind of nice to be able to eat right it's kind of nice to be able to pay the mortgage isn't it kind of nice to be able to pay the rent payment and the electric bill so why don't you quit your job I guarantee you, somebody offended you at work. I guarantee you, some of you have been or get offended every day at work, but you still keep your job. Why? Because you're committed. You may hate the job, but you like eating, right? Or maybe, maybe this is just too simplistic, but I, I'm just trying to get this across. Now, there comes a time when you need to, kick that job to the curb and go get a better one. I understand that. Uh, But but you know what? I've had bosses that have irritated me. In fact, I remember several years ago when uh, I I was working in sales in in a company up in Springfield, and I remember the owner's, Brother Brown, I remember the owner's son walking up to me one day, and he looked at me, and he said, you know what, things are starting to slow down. And he said, your position is going to be the first one to be eliminated. The owner's son. I'm like, that's not cool. He walks up to me and says, you're going to be the first one to go. I'm thinking like, I got little ones at home. 
They like to eat. In fact, they like to eat a lot. I didn't want to go home with a pink slip in my hand. So you know what I did? I marched right into the president of the company's office, knocked on his door. I said, this is what this guy said. I know he's your brother. I know, I, I know your dad's the owner of the company. You're the president. He's the vice president of the company. I understand all of that. I said, but I'll tell you what. I said, if I'm going to have to work here under the threat of being the first one to be let go, then I'm giving you my notice right now because I'm going to have a job because I'm going to work. And he looked at me and he said, as long as there is a company here and you want to work for us, there's a job for you. If we have to eliminate that position, we'll give you another position. But there will always be a job here for you. So don't worry about what he said. I walked out of there about 14 feet tall, my shoulders square. Hey, nobody, I don't care if you're the vice president of the company, you can't fire me. Your brother, the president, says I got a job. I'll be honest with you, I felt like walking over to the other guy's office and saying, ha! I felt, I didn't do it, but I felt like it. <laughs> I still feel like it today. You can't do it! Because somebody higher than you won't give you the authority. How higher can you get than God? There's none greater, none higher, none stronger, none better. Your job can't fire you until he gives them permission. And when he gives them permission, he's got a better job for you. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not sure if we got this concept. Yeah, we have to understand that, yes, God allows things in our life, uh, but he is not, he doesn't want to destroy us. Uh, he doesn't want to break us. Uh, he doesn't want to disappoint us. Uh, but sometimes he has to, for the sake of better direction, a course change in our life. Sometimes God has to put a roadblock here and say, you can't go that direction. Because if you keep going that direction, it is going to be destined for failure and destruction. So I'm going to put a roadblock in your life. I've got to do it. Because if you keep going your way, you're going to destroy yourself. And sometimes we just need to learn how to listen to God for a little while. When it seems like the heavens are like brass and we pray and our, our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and we wonder where God is and we, we know that he loves us, but somehow we're, we're trying to relate our, 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 our prayers going up and bouncing back from the ceiling to how can God really be good to me, but Understand this, the Bible tells, in fact, I remember this in the Old Testament. You know, the, the, the Bible literally says that, that there is a bottle in heaven where your tears are being stored. Mm. Why would God store your tears? 
First of all, I believe because he hates to see them fall. But he is never going to allow your tears to fall without somehow collecting them into his bottle. So he knows. And let me also say this. God God hears every single prayer. But we don't comprehend the fact that sometimes God says no. When your little junior or junior miss or whatever came up to you and said, I want another bowl of ice cream, and they've had 14 already, there comes a time you got to say no. Well, I guess you didn't get that. All right, maybe I'll find another illustration. But there comes a time when you're going to have to say no to your kids. You want to know why the jails are full? Is because somebody didn't tell them no. Somebody refused to get a spine and say, you're not going to do that. You're my child. You're not going to do that. I'm not going to let you go that direction. But they just let, they coddle their kids. Oh, do whatever you want. Oh, don't worry. You know, go ahead and kick grandma. It's okay. Lord, help me. Somebody pray for me right now. I got, anyhow, I got a little impatience going on in my my mind right now. So God's got to help me. We have got to learn. Now, we need to learn how, how, how to put God first. And, 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 and I'm thinking about this as God is talking to me. We need to learn how to put God first at all times. Think about this. If you don't put God first in all things, that means you're an idolater. Oh, maybe I need to preach that over here. I said, if there's something you are not putting God first in, that means you're an idolater. Somebody smile at me at least, you know, all right? Because if there's an area of your life that you are keeping off to the side or holding behind your back away from God and it's not his, that means you're an idolater. That means you're trying to be God. But until you learn how to put God first in everything, then those potholes are really going to mess you up. That's right. (laughs) So, Jesus said to his disciples, when he got done preaching and saying to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have a part with me. And then he looks at his disciples and says, does this offend you? As to say... Hey, I understand it might offend you, and it probably does. But when he looked at the disciples and he looked at Paul, and Paul said to him, we don't have anywhere else to go. Or Peter, anyhow, you understand what I'm saying. So we need to keep loving him. We need to keep walking with him. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, I'm reading it from a different translation. It says, for our present troubles are small and, don't, and won't last long, they are, they, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So when Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, the Bible says that many of his disciples walked with him no more. They loved the preaching. 
They loved the teaching. They loved the miracles. They loved being fed. They loved hearing the word of God. But when it came down to commitment, uh oh, sorry, I can't do that. We're out of here. The Bible says many walked with him no more. How could you ever see Jesus heal somebody? How could you ever be healed yourself and still walk away from him? It doesn't add up for me. How could you ever be saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and walk away from God who gave himself for you? How could you do it? I don't understand. I, and honestly, I'm just struggling today. But when Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have part with me. In John chapter 6, verse 56, it says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. And then look at this in John 13, 4 through 9. It says, uh, He rising up. This is talking about uh, the foot washing. And he says, and he rising from supper laid his garments, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself after that pouring water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel wherewith he girded, he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? In other words, what Simon Peter said to Jesus is, you're not washing my feet. That's what he was saying. You're not washing my feet. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. <laughs> Lord, if this is a deal breaker, wash my feet. Come on, somebody. Lord, if this is a deal breaker, not only wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head. What Peter was saying to him, Lord, nothing's going to kick me out of this. And then chapter 13, verses 12 through 16, it says, So after he had washed their feet, he had taken his garment. He sat down again said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? You call me Master and Lord, uh, and say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Now I just lost everybody. I'll never forget. As a teenager, the first time I was brand new in church, had, I, I forget how long I've been in church, and they announced we're having a foot washing. I'm thinking, like, what, people can't wash their own feet? <laughs> I was just being, I was a teenager, I'm like, really? I, you know, now, as an active teenager, sometimes you have stinky feet. And, and so I'm thinking, like, I don't want anybody washing my feet. That's embarrassing. But then when they began talking about how that Jesus did it, I said, well, maybe I should check this out. And so I went there and went to that foot washing, and the men were in one room and the ladies were in another room. And God's honest truth, I felt the power of God so strong 
because there was a spirit of humility there. When the pastor was going around from saint to saint, from, from man to man, washing their feet, I'm thinking like, he's the preacher, he's the pastor, he shouldn't be washing my feet. There's just something that don't feel right about that. But when he prayed for me, when he washed my feet and then prayed for me, I felt this anointing come on me that was totally different from things I had felt before because it was that spirit of humility. And so Jesus is trying to get that across to his disciples when he says, what I've done to you, you need to do to others. What Jesus is saying is you need to be a servant. Until you can learn how to be a servant, you will never be a master. Until you can learn how to serve. Uh, and, and unfortunately, you know what? I don't know why I'm going to say this, but I have heard there, there are some young men and women that graduate from Bible school, going to great Bible schools, getting great educations. Uh, uh, some are just phenomenal musicians, and, 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 and so some of you may know where I'm coming at on this, uh, but when, when a person graduates from Bible school and says, I am only going to serve in a church where they can give me a full-time position, or I'm only going to a church where I can be the worship leader and I can lead and they can pay me so it can be a job, and they say that's what they limit themselves to, but where's God in that? Where's God in that? What if God is calling you to, to some small little home mission church somewhere where, yeah, you're not going to get a dime. In fact, you're going to have to work a secular job and then volunteer your time on top of that. But there are too many prima donnas in this that think, oh, unless I can get this or unless I can get that, whatever happened to that servant leadership position where God is going to call you and he is going to equip you and he's going to bless you. Maybe it's just a pet peeve of mine. Uh, I even remember calling somebody one time and saying, listen, I'm thinking about bringing somebody in. Uh, this was a while back, about bringing somebody in from, from Bible school to come be a youth leader. And they, they simply said this, don't even bother. Don't even bother. Because all the good ones are going to be hired out somewhere before you can get to them. And I'm thinking, Lord, what a shame that is. Because what if God is calling somebody to Connecticut and they refuse to go to Connecticut because California pays better? That's right. That's just a pet peeve of mine. I got it off my chest. But look what Jesus did. He was a servant. And, and days later, people would mock him and spit on him and beat him and crucify him. And I want you to think about this as I bring this message to a close. If Jesus gave up, none of us would be saved. If Jesus gave up, none of us would be saved. If Jesus, Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, and he could have. If he did, we would have been lost. So I want, to, I want you to hear this as our musician would come. Don't let a wounded spirit destroy you. Don't let a wounded spirit destroy you. Most of the time, it's what you go through that propels you into your destiny and where God has plans for you. Many followers of Jesus loved his teaching. They loved him. 
They love to watch him perform, perform miracles and feed thousands. He taught them like none else. His words were power. His words were anointed. He taught with authority. He changed their lives. But when he asked for commitment, that's what separated the sheep from the goats. Would you stand with me? There are too many people that are happy on the fringes of the blessings of God. Sooner or later, you're going to have to decide, are you in or are you out? And in my humble opinion, the only way to serve God is to put him first. To put him first above everything else. Anything less than that is idolatry. I understand it's a hard message, but it's true nonetheless. Sometimes serving the Lord will break your heart. Sometimes it will. But he is also able to mend your heart. The scripture says, does this offend you? Jesus said, I'd rather you be cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. What Jesus was telling in that illustration was that tepid water that's a mixture of hot and cold, it doesn't really do anybody any good. Now, I, for one, I love coffee, but I love hot coffee. I don't like lukewarm coffee. It's got to be hot. I have not yet been able to cross over to iced coffee. Pray for me. I just haven't been able to cross that threshold. When you walk over to Dunkin' Donuts and it's 90 degrees outside and you say, I want a hot decaf, they look at you like you got three heads or something like that. What? You don't want an iced coffee? No, I don't want an iced coffee. If I'm going to have coffee, I want it hot. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with iced coffee. I just have not been able to prod myself hard enough to go get some. Because there's something in me that says if coffee is going to be anything, it ought to be hot. That's just me. The danger when Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. See, the danger about sitting on the fence is when the wind blows, you're going to get knocked off. And it depends on which way the wind is blowing as to which direction you're going to fall. Well, I assure, I assure you the, the winds of adversity are intended to knock you off the fence in the wrong direction. But somebody just needs to get off the fence and say, I'm in this. No matter what comes my way, I'm in this. 100%. No idolatry. It's Jesus, it's you, and it's me. And so as I open the altar this morning, I would like to all offer you the opportunity to say to God this morning, God, I'm in this. I'm in this no matter what comes my way. I'm going to serve you no matter what. No matter what. 
And so I open this altar to anybody that wants to make that kind of a commitment to God. God, it's you and me forever. It's you and me until the rapture. It's you and me until I breathe my last breath and the angels usher me into heaven. Lord, I am in this and I'm going to serve you no matter how awful the potholes are in my life that I'm going to hit. No matter the struggles, no matter the trials, no matter the tribulations, no matter the hardship that comes my way, God, I'm in this. I'm committed to serving you. I'm committed to loving you. Even when it hurts, I'm still coming. Is there anybody else that wants to come and talk to him? Look at this altar just filling up. Oh, God is so good. God is so good. When Jesus asked, does this offend you? He was asking them, are you going to go away too? But no. And they said, who who are we going to go to? You're the one that has the answers. You're the one that can help us. You're the one that can lead us. You're the one that is true. You're the one that is faithful. You're the Almighty. You're the one true living God. To whom are we going to go? There's no place else. There's no place else to go. We're going to serve you, Jesus. Oh, I feel his presence. I feel his presence. We need some of our altar workers. Please come and help us. In the name of Jesus, is there anybody else that wants to make that type of commitment to the Lord? doesn't matter, Jesus, what comes my way. It's you and me, Lord. It's you and me for life. It's you and me forever, Jesus. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to love you, God. Even when things go the wrong way, I love you. Can we have a few of our men that will come and help us in the altar? A couple of our ladies, please come help us in the altar.
feel such a sweet presence of the Lord that is in this place right now. the voice of the Lord earlier in service. I didn't, I didn't say anything at the time. I wasn't sure what I should do with it. I didn't know what pastor was going to preach. And I haven't been here the last couple of weeks when he preached to hear what he's preaching about. So this is really the first one of these messages that he was talking about that I've, that I've heard. But when pastor was preaching about wounds and having been hurt and having pain to be able to continue on and move despite of that. So the Lord spoke to me earlier in this service and said that this church, and I just shared this with him because I wanted to make sure that I was alright with sharing this with you, but I, I shared it with him. He said, go ahead and share it with the church if, if you feel led to do so. And I feel like we will. The Lord spoke to me and said that this church is going to be a healing place. And it's already happening, but there are going to be people, families, and individuals that come into this church and they receive the healing that they need while they're in this church so that God can use them and restore them and bring them back to that spot and then they'll be launched out and to walk in the greater things that God has ordained for them to walk in. Amen. And I believe that that's, that, that, that's the spirit of the Lord. And I didn't know God dropped it in my spirit and then pastor preached and tell me it bears witness with the spirit. As a matter of fact, it's already happened. And I can look at some of you and I can, I can see the healing that some of you have received from past wounds and past hurts. This is a place, and I'm not trying to just promote this church in general. That's what the Lord wants to do. But I believe God spoke to me and said, this church, this place is going to be a healing place. There is a, a special flow of oil for healing. And, and I'm not even talking about, I'm not talking about physical healing. And God can do that too. And I I absolutely believe that we're going to see those as well, but I'm talking about those wounded spirits and those those emotional wounds and mental hurts that we have. God says this is going to be a place of healing. And when you receive that healing, then God is going to launch you into greater things than you could ever imagine before. Amen? Why don't we clap our hands to the Lord and receive that right now? In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus.